I have almost complete disdain for millennials because <laughs> I hate working with them because I found so many of them to be arrogant. I found so many of them to be lazy or entitled. They think they know everything already. Hey everybody, welcome to Bus Call, the podcast dedicated to touring industry professionals and their stories. My name is Ryan Goldbacher and I'm going to be your host. In these interviews, we're going to break down how touring professionals got into the industry, advice they have for up-and-comers, and awesome stories from the road. For more info, visit us at show-logistics.com and click on the Bus Call podcast at the top of the page. Don't believe me, please, she's all right, my next guest on Bus Call is Thomas O'Keefe. Thomas has had a long, long career. He's worked with Luster, Whiskey Town, Ryan Adams, Anti Scene. He tour managed Train for Years, Third Eye Blind, Sia, and he currently tour manages Weezer. He's also the author of Waiting to Derail, Ryan Adams, and Whiskey Town, Alt Country's Brilliant Train Wreck. Thomas, welcome to Bus Call. How's it going, man? Good. How you doing? Not bad. Not bad. Um, so, what's the story behind how you got into the music business? Where did it all start for you, and uh, what series of events led you to be a tour manager? Well, I was, you know, I bought my first Kiss record in 1976, and that was that kind of ended that, you know, and <laughs> it ended the possibility of any other career. Um, you know, I always wanted to play in a band, and then I played in a punk rock band from Charlotte called Anti-Scene for many years. And the truth was, I was the tour manager of Anti-Scene, and I didn't realize it. Because, you know, when you're in a band, you, a small band like that, you don't have a lot of, you don't have any crew, barely. We had a merch guy that went with us, but that was about it. And um, I was the guy in my band who said, hey, we better leave. It's 12 hours to Albuquerque or whatever. And uh, so what it inevitably ended up happening was our drummer in anti-scene started another band on the side called Luster, L-U-S-T-R-E. And they wanted me to be the bass player. And I was like, I wanted to do it. There was just no way I could. It was just too much. I was still in anti-scene. I was working. And I, so I declined the job and about two months later, Luster was about to get a record deal. This was about 1994 or so. And I was so bummed out and depressed. I was like, Oh, I blew it. That was my chance. You know? <laughs> and then Luster was, Luster was a, in the group of bands around 93, 94, the record companies had switched all over to grunge rock and they had already signed all the existing bands. So they went out on a second signing binge and they signed every single band that was even slightly alternative rock. And some of these bands had just barely started and were just barely getting going. And Luster was one of those bands. So they ended up calling me late 95, early 96 to be their tour manager. So I went ahead and quit playing in anti-scene. I started being their tour manager and I quickly realized that it was what I had been doing all along. And then Luster got dropped six months later. And now 25 years later, I still have a job. So it actually, the joke is with the Luster guys is I'm the only one that got a career out of their band. <laughs> so 25 years later, I still have that same job. So, and it is so in a way it was good that I wasn't didn't you know end up playing in the band well it's it's funny how that kind of stuff works out because I mean I was an audio engineer before I started tour managing and 
made it a career too. So what's the story behind uh, working with Ryan Adams and the Whiskey Town gig? Well, the only reason I got that job was proximity and location. What happened was Whiskey Town was a band from Raleigh, North Carolina, and I lived in Raleigh. I had moved to Raleigh to do the Luster job. And then when Luster got dropped in the where Luster ended at the late fall, early winter of 96, I went back to delivering pizzas. And I quickly discovered that your first job in this business is not the hardest one to get. Your second job is the hardest one to get. And the reason for that is your first job somebody gives you. Your second job you have to go out and earn. But the problem is you have to go earn the job based on what you did during the first job. So when I was calling around trying to find a tour manager job in the winter of 96, I was like, oh, I'm the tour manager of Lester. Well, Lester didn't sell any records. They got dropped. So that doesn't mean anything. And when you grow up and you start to work for bands people have heard of, then you can go, oh, I'm the tour manager of Weezer. And they go, oh, okay. You know, and then you're taken seriously. So I struggled, struggled looking for that second job. And I finally, I got a job working for Degeneration who ended up being one of the two or three favorite bands that I worked with in my career. I loved them as a fan and I'm still remain friends with them to this day, but whiskey town was a band from Raleigh and I didn't know them, even though I lived there, their manager lived in Austin, Texas, and they really needed somebody on the ground in Raleigh for the mostly for babysitting duties because they couldn't get this, couldn't get Ryan up out of bed at three in the afternoon to do phone interviews. They needed somebody to go bang on his door. So I got a phone call. The reason they called me was because I lived, they wanted somebody that lived in Raleigh. So had I lived in Charlotte or somewhere else, I probably wouldn't have gotten that job. Sometimes it's about being in the right place at the right time. I mean, exactly. I got a, I got that tour manager gig because I was standing in the room and somebody thought I was somebody else. <laughs> and, right. and it ended up yes. just working out, you know, really good. That was my first real tour managing it with Shooter Jennings. And it just was being in the right place at the right time. And Right. When I was out with Whiskey Town, Train opened for us once in September of <laughs> 1998. Mm -hmm. And when I ended up getting the train job, a year, like barely 14 months later, the drummer of Train, Scott Underwood, who is still my buddy, said, Hey man, you know, don't you remember how nice you were to us that day? And I was like, no, I don't remember that. But I ended up working for 13 years with that band before mm -hmm. I quit. And so, you know, the, the advice is be nice to the opening band, be nice to everybody because you truly never know where your next job is going to come from. I could give you your next job or you could give me my next job. You never know. Yeah, that happens all the time doing all the punk rock stuff that I've done over the years, you know, you they'll cram like three bands in front of the opening act in a tiny little club. And the guys that were always the busiest after the tour were the tour managers and the crew that was up on stage helping the opening acts tear down their gear or, you know, whatever they could do extra to kind of, you know, make buddies with them. And then they keep working after that. Yeah, that's where you never know. You really never know. You know, Anti-Scene played a show. And uh, I remember Anti-Scene playing a show in Philadelphia when I was still in the band in the mid-90s. And Helmet opened up for us. Mm -hmm. You know, you just never know. I remember Train playing a show in Birmingham, Alabama in 2001. And John Mayer was there with an acoustic guitar and a tuner. Mm -hmm. And he said, what time should I play? 
And I said, you can start anytime you want, as long as you're done at 845. And he was like, okay. You know? I have a story about how I kind of blew it. I did a, a run with Chris Stapleton before he blew up. And I just wasn't into the gig. I didn't act like I wanted to be there. And I don't know if I missed out on that gig or not, but, you know, they didn't call me back to do it. And I'm kicking myself now. You know, not that I've got any regrets, but it's just, you know, you just, you never know where a gig's going to You really from. never know. You really never, never know. Even if it doesn't come from that artist, you know, if you're, if you make friends with management or, you know, other people on the team, you know, you never know when they're going to call you and say, Hey, can you, can you do this? Yeah. You don't need to be a dick to any, but save mm. being a dick for when you need it, when someone's trying to screw yeah. you over. But well, because but just, if you're a dick for no reason, people won't take it seriously until it, when, oh, you actually, when you actually do mean it. So what's, uh, what's the story behind train? I mean, you got on pretty early with that gig right about when uh me virginia came out and they really started getting some traction oh yeah 100 percent. the funny thing was in 99 in 1999 i proposed to my wife and we had our wedding slated for october of 1999 and i made a commitment at that point that i was not really going to go out much in 99 i was going to kind of take it easy i didn't want to be the guy who was gone all year and then I flew home for my wedding and immediately left. Mm. So I was very particular about what I did in 99. And quite honestly, at that time, I was also running a small management company. We managed Whiskey Town because Ryan had fired their previous manager that hired me. So we had that going too. So I got offered the train gig around uh, the summer of 99 and I turned it down. By coincidence, the same day, um, I was at a festival in Raleigh, and the Marvelous Three's singer Butch Walker mm-hmm. was trying to hire me to do the Marvelous Three, which is a band I, as you know, because we toured together with them, I loved mm-hmm. that band a lot. Mm-hmm. And um, I couldn't do either because, you know, my wedding was approaching, and like I said, I didn't want to be gone the whole year. So after my wedding, I went out with Mandy Moore, by coincidence, who was was you know a teenager at the time but she would buy you know ryan adams was living in my house and i was out on tour with mandy moore having no idea years later that i would be uh he would marry her you mm-hmm. know after i got married and i went back out with mandy then the train job came back around again do you want to do it now and i was like okay i'll do it mm-hmm. so i started with them in the fall like october of 99 and i did it all the way until um, like fall 2012. Mm-hmm. So it was 13 years nearly. So you currently uh, tour manage Weezer. Um, and I know Weezer's on Crush, right? Yes, that's so correct. You, you got, I mean, most, a lot of the artists that we've worked with together have been through Crush. And that's why it's important to really get a good relationship going with management because, you know, they're going to call you for their other artists, keep the friendships there and, and things will keep coming. So what's, uh, I mean, you and I, you were, you were working with Crush doing management with uh, Striking Matches in Nashville, and that's how we met. I tour managed Striking Matches and did audio for them. And then uh, later on, you ended up uh, becoming uh, Weezer's tour manager. So how did that happen? Same thing, you know, exactly what you just said. You know, they, um, I, after train, I worked at Crush. Crush had an office here in Nashville for about a year and a half, and I worked there. And then, they closed their Nashville operation down. So I found myself unemployed for a minute. And then they cross called me and immediately wanted me to tour manage Sia when there was just a few things. We did SNL and 
Ellen and the Grammys and a few things like that, like a lot of TV yeah, shows. Little, some little stuff. <laughs> little tiny stuff like <laughs> SNL. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. I mean, it's actually pretty easy because yeah. it's all it lasts all week long. You can't do anything else. Yeah, yeah. But um, so we did that. Then I went out with Third Eye Blind and Dashboard Confessional for the summer. And then they called me about Weezer and who's crush manages. And of course I said, yes, because Weezer has always been one of my favorite bands. And uh, I remember you telling me that way before that even was on the radar. You're like, man, that's one of my favorite bands. It's kind of my dream to, to tour manage Weezer. Uh, you know, I always wanted to, when I quit tour managing train and it seemed like I wasn't going to be doing it again, I, I, the one thing that bummed me out was I had never tour. I always wanted to tour manage a band that I liked from when I was a kid mm. And the reason for that is I felt like the whole thing would come full circle, you know? Now, I was a Weezer fan in 1994. I saw them in 90. Me, my wife, and the singer of the band Seven Mary Three went to go see them in Raleigh on Pinkerton in early 97. But I wasn't a kid. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? I might have been 30. But uh, if Cheap Trick calls, I might have to quit Weezer and go do Cheap <laughs> Trick. But other than that, you know, I'm I'm very happy where I am. It's I've been with Weezer for nearly five years now. So, you know, we get to go to a lot of cool places and see a lot of cool things. What are the coolest uh, countries you've actually gotten to go to? Well, you know, it's kind of funny because... I rarely go anywhere I haven't been before, you know, because there's so, because basically we all go to North America, South America, Europe, Pan Asia, Australia. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of it. Like, so I went to Portugal last year, which I had never been there before. But other than that, I mean, there's a lot of places in the world that I love, you know, I mean, I love the french italian riviera part of the world i love sydney australia i love some cities in america that i would rather go to more than others mm. london is great paris is great i mean buenos aires argentina is great tokyo is great you know the thing with the weezer guys is weezer had been to japan when i started with them we i've been to, i've been to japan with weezer twice and those guys have been there 10 or 12 or 15 times like it's pretty crazy because the band's very popular there and they go there a lot you know mm -hmm. i mean our singer speaks japanese those guys i mean a couple of those guys go to japan on vacation you know they love mm -hmm. japan but they had hardly been to australia they won't weezer's only been to australia two or three times in their whole career now train was the opposite train had i've been to australia with train a dozen times but I'd only been to Japan once with train before. So I've only been to Japan three times in my whole career. And Weezer's only been to Australia three or four times in their whole career. So it's kind of the opposite. But it's kind of weird how some bands are popular in some countries and some are popular in other countries. But yeah, no, I love going to Australia. I love going to Tokyo. I love going. I love coming home to Nashville. Mm -hmm. And the downside to it is for every one cool place you go to, there's probably a dozen Toledo, <laughs> Ohio, yeah. Youngstown, San yeah. Antonio, Texas in the summer. And I remember my punk rock band playing in Poland in 93. And I was just like, oh, my God, we're starving to death. There's no food here. You know, I mean, it's just people always say to me, it seems like you have a really cool job. And I said, you're exactly right. It <laughs> seems like I have a really cool job. Mm -hmm you know there's so many good things about what we do and then there's always that one time where you 
can't get in touch with the person you've been looking for for four hours and somebody doesn't make bus call, somebody misses a flight and you know, that's the unfun part of it all. Right. There's always the, there's always, or, you know, you're laying in your hotel room in Sydney, Australia at three in the morning asleep and your phone's ringing off the hook because you're going on tour in the U S you know, in two weeks and everyone's calling you and they are not aware that there's a 12 hour time. Difference. Yeah. <laughs> or they don't care. <laughs> or they don't care. Right. Yeah. And you can't shut your phone off. That's the problem. No. You know, this job is, especially tour managing this job and really for everybody, mm -hmm. this job is an all or nothing job. You can't halfway do it. Oh yeah. You're, you're on the clock 24 hours a day, seven days exactly. a week. Exactly. There's, there's no, that's break. right. What, are the, what is one of the coolest uh, venues you've gotten to play? I would say, you know, train played, um, I mean, we've done Weezer played Madison square garden last year, which was pretty awesome. Um, trains played, um, the Greek theater in Carmina, Sicily, overlooking an erupting volcano, you know, in a college and it looks like the Roman Coliseum, but it's like 500 years older. You know, we've all done Red Rocks and all these different, which I don't really, everyone's always loves to talk about Red Rocks. I can't agree with that. It's so high up and it's, it you know, looks just, cool. It really it looks, looks cool, cool, but it's such a pain in the ass from, from our perspective. I mean, you got to, yeah, that's true. You know, you can't, you got to cross load all your trucks and nothing can get up that hill. And you know, that's exactly just, right. <laughs> you know, the show part's great and the and it's a cool venue, but it's just a mess. I'd way rather do anything anywhere else. In the yeah. It's, it's pretty terrible. I mean, it's great. It's great to see it, but it's not fun to uh, actually be there. If you can do it as a fly date, that's the way to do it. But, if you're if you're on tour, it's just it's just not fun. <laughs> but, right, it's miserable. What's uh, what's the craziest thing that's ever happened to you on tour that you can tell? Hmm, that's a good one. Um, I mean, I've never left anybody behind. You know, I've I've gotten grease spotted myself before, but just from like the hotel to the uh, venue sort of thing. Um. I don't know. I mean, it's it's probably nothing I can tell. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that's probably. the hard part. The, that's the hard. The stories part, you can you tell know? are incredible, but or you can't tell. Yeah. are awesome. But uh, yeah, yeah, there's a lot of great stories I could tell, but I'd like to keep. I'd like to keep my house. You yeah. know, and not get sued. Yeah. So now well, it's you know the thing is when you're doing this with baby bands you know, you're doing this with baby bands and that's when you are dealing with children and dealing with, you know, the young 20 something dude who is, you know, out drinking or chasing girls or doing whatever they're doing. And the stakes aren't as high, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? You're just playing a, a 200 seat club. There's 50 people there. You're collecting 500 bucks. Mm -hmm. You're rounding them up and you're all sleeping on the floor of a super eight somewhere and you're in a sprinter van and you go to the drive to the next city. The hardest part of a tour like that is waking everybody up and getting them in the van at eight o'clock in the morning when yeah. you have a long drive that day. Mm -hmm. But at a bigger level, it there's way more moving pieces and way more pieces of the puzzle. But typically the bands at that level, you know, almost exclusively are grown up adults. Mm -hmm. So that the babysitting component of it sort of vanishes mm -hmm. and you end up 
being able to concentrate on the things that you need to concentrate on. You know, if you're at a rock concert and there's 10,000 people there, you have to think of all 10,000 of those people, not just your four band members or not just your 20 crew. I mean, everyone's there. If there's a thunderstorm coming, yeah. you're thinking about everyone's well-being, not yeah. just the band and crew. So at a, as this thing gets bigger, the stakes get harder and the job becomes harder, but the ridiculous parts of it sort of tend to go away, at mm. least to some extent. Well, and there's also a lot more help. Yeah, and there's a lot more help. Yeah, you go like... How could you ride around with that little baby band mm. with you and a sound person, but then you go out on tour with a big band and you have, mm. you know, I mean, we have a skeleton crew, I think, and it's not that many people, but I mean, some of these bands go out and they have a hundred people with them or mm. 75 or a hundred people with them. By the time you count all the bus drivers and truck drivers mm. and, and just, you know, there's just a massive amount of people on tours like that. Yeah. So. What's uh, what's some advice you have for people that are up and coming through this business? Uh, what kind of positions should they put themselves in to do well, and what things should they avoid? What attitudes should they avoid? My wife always uses this quote. She says, know your audience. Imagine if you are trying to get a job, and I'm the person hiring you. I'm 56 years old. I'm, I'm an old Gen Xer. I am not a millennial and I'm not a Gen Z. I'm an, a very old Gen Xer, the, the oldest range of it. I have almost complete disdain for millennials because <laughs> I hate working with them because I found so many of them to be arrogant. I found so many of them to be lazy or entitled. They think they know everything already. And so if, you know, if you're trying to get a job from me, you need to realize that I'm not a millennial. So I'm not going to be interested in you texting me during our talk or doing all these millennial antics where you want to advance a show via some internet portal. I would never do that, mm -hmm. you know? And I, I just think that you have to understand that I want to hire the kid who was me when I was 20. Mm -hmm. I want to hire the kid who has that evil ambition glowing in his eyes. I want to hire the kid who, who tried way harder than everyone else. I want to hire the kid who did things without me having to tell him to do it. Mm -hmm. I want to hire the kid who worked harder than anyone else. I mean, I've been at shows before where I've taken the runner's name and gone, dude, if you ever want to come out, call me. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. it takes me seconds to see these qualities in a person. Well, it, yep. And it's, it's got nothing to do with your age or anything like that. It's got everything has to, nothing do to do with, with, your, with right. your attitude. It just has to do with work ethic and it has to do with, um, because that's what I did. The hardest thing I think about this job is acquiring your second job mm -hmm. because your first job, someone gives you your second job. You have to go get, mm -hmm. but you don't have any name recognition. Yeah. You know, you're going to struggle to get that second job. Mm -hmm. And I used to make dozens of phone calls per day just trying to get that second job. Mm -hmm. I was calling random people. I was calling people that I didn't even know and saying, hey, man, blah, 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 blah. Some people. Mm -hmm. There was a girl that I know at Columbia Records who I called her so many times. She didn't even realize that she didn't know me. But I was determined to get that second job that is what it takes 
you have to have that kind of determination in order to get the second job. And that's what people like me are looking for. Yeah. You know, we're not looking for entitlement. I remember I I actually, you know, I went to Full Sail, which is the biggest ripoff in the world. <laughs> well, no, I had one of my... Uh, one of my longest crew members that has ever worked with me went to full sale. Oh yeah, I don't. I don't mean. I don't mean it in the sense that it's necessarily a bad education. I think there's better educations out there, but it's so much money, and they rack people up right. with so much debt. And the people that are successful out of there would have been successful wherever they were. Anyway, right. Um, but. You know, I I came out of school, moved to Nashville. I got my internship at Blackbird, and I genuinely thought that I was going to be so good at this that they were going to fire their assistant engineers and hire me. And I was so wrong. Right. <laughs> you know, the entire time I was there. I mean, I worked really, really hard, but it, you know, I was arrogant and an idiot at the time. And you know, I had to get put in my place to to kind of realize, all right, you know, I I got a lot to learn. You know, I think of it like a punk rock education, and I bring that up a lot. But most of the people, of the successful people that I have worked with in this business, didn't go to school per se. They they might have gone to some kind of audio course or something like that and for a couple months. But they really just got themselves out there. And if they wanted to tour, you know, they asked to be the person that drove the van or, you know, they sold merch or they did whatever they had to do to get their foot in the door. And then other things came from that. And like in your case, you played in a band and then you became the tour manager. And that's that's the path that worked for you, but it's right. not the path for everybody. I mean, I know people that can't play an instrument at all that are that do this for a living. Right. I had a guitar tech with Train for 12, 13 years that, that wasn't a guitar player. <laughs> I never met a guitar tech who wasn't a guitarist. Yeah. There's so many opportunities to learn, and people in this business want to share their knowledge if you right. want to learn. Um, well, there's the end period that where you get older, there's, there's, you know, there's the period of time where you get your job mm -hmm. and then you work your career and then you earn your money and you do what you do. And then as you get older, you be, then be, becomes the mentoring part. Exactly. You know, if you watch that movie, wall street at the end of the movie, Michael Douglas is standing in central park with his protege guy who turned on him. And he said, when I looked at you, I saw myself. Mm -hmm. Once you've reached the point where you've done well in life, you want to go and help the kid who reminds you of you. Mm -hmm. But if I'm a Gen Xer, I want the, that kid is not an entitled millennial. Mm -hmm. That kid is somebody who breaks that mold and wants to be, is very ambitious, and but willing to do the work. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're, that's what we're always looking for. Yeah, yep. Because nobody's above having to work their ass off in this business. <laughs> I I absolutely agree with you on all that stuff. So yeah. So uh, tell me about Waiting to Derail. Waiting to Derail is a book I wrote. It's on Amazon. It covers the period of time of the Whiskey Town Ryan's first band that they, the album cycle for the Strangers Almanac album. And that goes from basically spring of 97 to the book ends in fall of 2000. So it covers about a three and a half year period. The book essentially starts the day that I get the job and the book ends when the band is over and we all move on. And the reason that I use that timeline is because that was what I saw. There was he kind of put out two albums before I started with them. And there's essentially nothing in the book about those albums. 
because I didn't see it. I wanted to concentrate just on the period of time that I lived and saw and remember. And my memory is really, 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 really spot on, almost to a point of being ridiculous. I can tell you that I saw Journey on October 20th, 1981, the Mm -hmm. first time, you know? I mean, it's just ridiculous. My ability to remember dates and places is, is, is definitely way high up in the top percentiles of people that can do that. So I didn't want to waste it. And um, I wasn't drunk. I was there the whole time. And I'm the one that drove the van. So I remember the whole story. And I feel like it was an important story because... You know, I felt like Ryan is an important artist. Now, of course, keep in mind, this book was written and already out for six months, eight months before the whole news about him broke. And um, so it's, you know, it's seen through the lens of before that happened. But and of course, the book sort of slowed down immediately once his the bad news about him came out. But, um, you know, I think Ryan is one of the most important artists of the last 10 years, for sure. Mm-hmm. And uh a genius in a very crazy genius songwriting sort of way. And really it's the book is essentially the story of this young, young genius. Cause when I was with him, he was in his early twenties and the handful of people who first figured it out. So I knew Ryan was a genius in 1997. Mm-hmm. So it's not a surprise to me that his career, well, the bad stuff that happened with him was obviously a surprise to me, but him becoming successful as he has is not a surprise to me mm-hmm. uh and uh, where can people pick up that book and and you uh you donate all the profits is that right yeah where i'm donating my profits from the book to a women's shelter in raleigh the story came from raleigh so i figured whatever money the book makes should go back to where it came from sort of mm-hmm. but um yeah no the book's on amazon and it's out there and i think it's a great it's a great rock music book for anybody that likes any kind of rock music, not just necessarily you have to be a Ryan Adams fan to enjoy the book. You know, Ryan's a genius and he's a jackass, you know, you kind of see both sides of it, but you really do get a feeling for what it's like to be out on tour and riding around in the RV or on the bus or in the van or whatever we rode in. And I wrote the book with a guy named Joe A. Strike, who coincidentally Joe Strike was in a band or is in a band called Watershed and they got signed around the same time Luster did. They were also in that same sort of uh, signing bonanza like in the early 90s when the labels were signing every alternative rock band they could find. Watershed's a great, great band, one of my favorites, and he was the, is the singer of that band. And he, Joe's written a couple books. And he wrote a book about his band watershed called hitless wonder that's an amazing book and uh i would highly recommend it but yeah joe me and joe worked together on this book and it took a while but we did it well i'm gonna put a uh, link in the show notes so people can take a look at the book and buy it if they want to but uh it's a really good read i haven't read the whole thing but i've gotten through the first couple chapters and you know it's it's just interesting to see the whole growth of everything and, and from especially from the perspective of somebody that was in the middle of it all so most of the, all the, the Ryan fans that have read it, they're all like mad when it's over because they're like, I read this book in one day. I read this book on one flight. I read this book in six hours. You know, I didn't want it to be over, you know, that kind of thing. Well, it, hey. it's definitely quick. You yeah. know, it's not, it's not a slow book at all. You definitely plow through it pretty quickly. Yeah. 
Well, hey, Thomas, thank you for doing this, man. And uh, when all this COVID stuff's over, we'll uh, we'll have to hang out a little more. Cause, uh, yeah, we'll try. Yep. I'm, I'm going stir <laughs> we'll crazy see. here. <laughs> uh, I think we all are. Hey, everybody, thanks for listening to Bus Call. If you like the podcast, please rate and review us wherever you get your podcast. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit us at patreon.com slash buscall. Patreon members will get the podcast a week before it's released to the public, and they can also sign up to have advance notice of who's going to be on and the opportunity to ask questions. Please take some time to visit show-logistics.com. We've dedicated the first page to sell merch to raise money for Crew Nation's Global Relief Fund. As you know, with COVID-19, basically all touring has stopped for the foreseeable future, and there's thousands and thousands of crew out of work, and we're donating all the profits many of the merch sold there straight to Crew Nation. Thanks so much again, and please rate, review, and subscribe.